The Old Testament reading is from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her and she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The grass withers and the flowers fall. And the New Testament reading is from Hebrews 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me, please? We would like to get in on the reassured declaration of the psalmist who said, I trust in him and my heart is helped. We need some heart helping today. And not only that, we need some helping for our minds. We need some helping for our attitudes, for our perception. We need some help in our work. In our relationships, we need some help, and it is a mighty good thing that you have introduced yourself in one simple way as our helper. So will you give us your help this hour? Will you visit us first in the word and then in the word eaten at the sacrament? And in all of it, will you nourish us so that we who have been caused to hunger may know that you are the one who feeds us and you are and all things, our helper. And we pray in Jesus' name. Now be with us. Amen. I think it was several years ago, which means only some of you have heard this, maybe most of you haven't, but I used to sing a thing to our kids at night before bed that I've always loved. And I think it gets at something 
a tendency that this author of Hebrews is bringing up in our concluding remarks on Hebrews 13 in this last sermon of this series where we've been meditating on these passages that are sort of nutrient-rich with the life of God, with the teachings of the Scripture, so that we can have something that's dense and, and packed to meditate on. And the little thing I would sing them was a little ditty by Dave Wilcox, who said, imagine mother talking to her son. Wake up, she said. You dreaming fool, don't throw your life away, because life's too short, and you're too smart to want to hurt yourself that way. Now what's this talk about the fellow man? It's catch as catch can, understand? Hustle and struggle and get what you can, or you'll never get anywhere at all, young man. And what's this talk about loving everybody and trying to be a neighbor and helping out your brother? Well, that's fine, but you're getting a little carried away. That's what she'd say. Now, I'm not saying that love ain't fine. But every little thing's got its place in time. There's people out there who want what's mine. And they're going to try and take it away. So, save your love for those who care. Buy some clothes. Wash your hair. Just relax. Don't you dare start dreaming about saving the world. And Jesus said, Yes, Mom. I used to sing that to the kids. I've always loved it. I love those little ditties that Dave Wilcox used to do. Maybe he still doesn't, but I'm stuck in a musical era of 1993. But he's getting at something. He's getting at the most basic indigenous instinct to a parental heart, or really just when you care about somebody, all the kinds of things that a wizened person who's been ground down by the wheels of living would say to their kids, would say to the young, hey, the world is rather dangerous. It ain't looking out for you, so you better look out for yourself. You have to be careful about who you offer help to. You must be circumspect about who you give your heart to. People will trample you, and they'll chew you up, sir. So don't get grandiose ideas. She's, she understands that people get hurt, that people are nasty, that we're not so welcoming all the time to one another. And so she's telling her son There's people out there who want what's mine, and they're going to try and take it away, so save your love for those who care. It's the most normal human instinct. Protect yourself. It's dangerous out there. Be vigilant. The winds are blowing fiercely. You need insurance. You need to guard yourself. You need to guard your own. It's a very natural thing, and it's not altogether bad. It can just go bad. And so what the author of Hebrews, though, is giving us today is, I think, something rather simple. Because it's, it's something that's so basic that you're going to be inclined to think it's, it's too sophomoric. It's too much like kindergarten class. And so you might discard it. But I hope that you'll think, well, maybe, like some allergy sufferers in here, I'm well acquainted with allergy suffering. And one of the ways that I ameliorate that allergy suffering is I take this this splendid little pill every day for the rest of my life, apparently, called Zyrtec. 
And some of you take Claritin. I've been doing this for, I, I don't know, 60 years, and I guess ever how many more I get. I'm not 60 yet. I'm just kidding, but it's what it feels like. And you take this one little Claritin, and suddenly your body's instinct, where it's in these hostile environments, where everything about the air is odious to you. It's like, ah, look at the blooming death flowers. That's what your body is saying. Ah, they look so beautiful. They look so fragrant. They are going to kill you. And you take this little thing, this little pill, and it calms my hypervigilant immune system down so that it's not attacking itself, so it's not too huddled, so it, can, so it can appreciate what's outside of it. And here's the, the little Zyrtec you can take for your conditional allergies in this hostile world. This simple little phrase, the Lord is my helper. We started this series with Psalm 23, meditating on the Lord is my shepherd. And we're going to end it today with the Lord is my helper. Because if you don't know this, it's a simple thing, and it's basic, and I don't know how to make it more basic than that. And in deep Greek exegesis, the Lord is my helper means that he helps us with things. We need things, and he gives them. We need assistance, and he supplies it. We need guidance, and he offers it. We're in a jam, and he helps us out of it. We're fatigued, and he helps us through it. We're sorrowful, and he walks with us in the middle of it. The Lord is my helper. And not only that, but if we look at Psalm 46, that famous psalm that Lisa also read today, we hear that he is an ever-present helper, an ever-present help in time of trouble, which is fantastic because it has been surely recognized by you in moments of sanity that the only time you ever do anything actual is in the present. And that's the only place God is. He's ever-present. He's present. You try, as some said why, to live in the future sometimes. But as soon as you get there, it's present. And that's where he is. It's a good thing. He's not in the future in your mind. He's in the future when you get there to it, which becomes the present. He's ever-present. The Lord is my helper. He's an ever-present help. And if you can... Start to ruminate on that this week, to walk around with that this week. You can start to see that there's some assistance there. We all need a way of boiling down complicated things in the middle of uncertainties, in the middle of confusions, in the middle of being befuddled. I imagine that most of you do a good bit of listening to Linda Rodenstadt and uh, Aaron Neville. Is that right? And you know they're super hit, they're duet, romantic and touching from the 80s, where Aaron Neville says, I don't know much, but I know I love you. Sorry, Aaron Neville. I don't know much, but I know I love you, and that may be all there is to know. And he goes on to say, so many questions, less still left unanswered. 
There's all kinds of questions that are unanswered. I don't know what's going to become of our lives. I don't know all the answers to everything, but I do know this. I don't know much, but I do know this. I know I love you. And that may be all there is to know. And Linda Ronstadt feels the exact same way, apparently, in the song. So it's a very fortuitous arrangement. But we have here, we have here the author of Hebrews, who's very concerned about people having something that they can distill down. And so he's trying to say, here's how you cannot wear out and fade away and, and let your confidence that you had at the start with Jesus maintain till the end with Jesus. And so he has this whole book where he's telling them where they can get help. And he reminds them, God has spoken in a gazillion ways throughout the ages, but in these last days he's spoken through his son, who is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided the purification of sins, he sat down. He starts out by saying, if you need purification of sins, if you want to know what God is like, let me remind you there's this Jesus who has has offered you purification. He stands to intercede for you, and he's better than any angel, and he's better than Moses, He's the builder of everything. And he says he's tasted death for everyone. And he knows what it's like when you want to do something and you're not, God doesn't want you to do it and it's so hard not to do it. And so normally we just give in, but he didn't give in. And he's therefore able to help those who are tempted. And he tells us these famous words, therefore let us approach the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. He's trying to make sure they don't wear out, that they understand who Christ is, that they understand that he gives them help. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray. He is a sympathetic high priest. No stranger to our weakness. And here at the end, he's reminding us again, the Lord is your helper. The Lord Jesus Christ is your helper. It's something so simple that a kindergartner can understand it. It's so simple, I hope that a three-year-old can understand it. If you need something, all the things you need, the God who opens his hand and supplies the desires of every living thing is your helper. you count on that because if you don't have a helper if you don't have this confidence and this boldness that you will be helped that you are loved that this is the main thing about your life then you won't be able to keep on loving each other as brothers because everybody that we might otherwise call a brother or sister in the church They might become our rivals and our competitors. And there's people out here there who want what's mine. They're going to try to take it away. So save your love for those who care. And you're going to want to protect yourself because no one else is going to. So it's going to be hard to give to somebody if you're always trying to protect what you've got. And the same thing, he says, don't forget to entertain strangers. For so by doing, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels and they didn't even know it. Of course, he's talking about Genesis 18. Well, probably he's talking about Genesis 18 when Abraham sees these three strangers, they come in, 
And he's like, holy cow, you guys, come on in. We've got a quinoa feast for you. We've got grass-fed lamb in the back that we're, they've got a nice little marinade that's cooking on the big green egg. Come on in and eat. And it turns out that on that visit, as he's showing hospitality to these people he doesn't even know and making a big fanfare about them, that the Lord and angels are there. There's some representation of God there. And says, hey, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. In the earlier service, I said this time last year, which would have been really rather remarkable. But this time next year, you're going to have a baby worn out as you are. And he's saying, here's what's interesting about Christians. Here's what's interesting about the people who have been helped by God. The people who have been outsiders, who have been strangers, who have been aliens, who have been rejected, who have been who've known what it's like to be aliens and strangers, they show love not only to their own tribe, but they show it outside their tribe. They have love not only for brother, but they have love for stranger. That's scary to us. And you can't do it unless you have someone helping you. Someone who you know preserves and protects your life. Someone who you know has shown you help when you were a stranger. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Empathy's all the rage these days. And before Brene Brown was teaching us about it, the author of Hebrews was saying, live your life being helped by God and putting yourself as if you were in the shoes of other people. These Christians who have been thrown into jail, imagine what that's like. Remember them. I'm excited we have a number of people in our congregation who are remembering prisoners at the Walker Valley State Prison. We just got an email the other day from a, from a man who's got a mentoree there. We have several guys doing this. And his mentoree was getting out of prison. He had remembered him as if he was in prison. And he thought, what would it be like to be in prison? Like this guy erred. He did a crime. I can't remember what it was. It doesn't matter. God doesn't remember it. It's forgiven. He's come to Christ. And this man in our congregation got him and helped him get a job, helped him find a place to live, helped him find a church to connect to in middle or south Georgia, picked him up, got him some clothes, because he remembered, what would it be like if you were just starting fresh and you had nothing? Wouldn't you need some advocates? Wouldn't you need some clothes? Wouldn't you need a bag to carry your stuff? Wouldn't you need a razor? Toothbrush? A job? Friends? And he's asking us, pray for this guy because he's remembering, because he believes that God has helped him. And so he's thinking, Who can, how can I help this prisoner? I don't even know him. I've come to know him now. There are all kinds of ways that we're opening up, or you can open up your life to people that aren't just your tribe if you believe that God's going to help you and that God has helped you. And he goes on to say, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And he gives us this kind of weird reminder for the people who have the Lord as their helper. Is that Christians are these utterly odd people. You've heard me say before, riffing off of Tim Keller, that on the one hand, profoundly generous. Helping their brothers, helping their own family members, helping strangers 
people who aren't them, people of other religions, people of other races, people of other nationalities, people of other income groups. Christians generously open up their lives to those, all kinds of people like that, but they are stingy as all get out when they're following their helping Lord in one area, their sexuality. Stingy. They will not share sex with any but their spouse. God has blessed us, Calvin, the union between man and woman. And he said, this thing is awesome. I love it. I don't like any other union that tries to pretend to be it. And that's why he says, I judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer. The people who disregard that. Who think, I'll just live for myself. I'll just do... I'll obey myself. That makes sense. And myself says that's a dumb rule. It's too restrictive. I need to go elsewhere. But we're generous in every area except that one where we're greatly stingy. Just with our spouses, we're generous. Because sex is not a self-expression. Self is, sex is self-donation. In a covenant relationship. And the people who have been Helped by God, come to know this. And then he says, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I dump you. And never will I depart from you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? I've always been intrigued by this little verse. Keep your lives free from the love of money. I think, well, I'm not, I don't think of myself as somebody who loves money. But then I think, but I do love to make sure that I have enough money in the bank to handle anything that might come along in the future. And I do like to be able to do whatever my kids want to do. I want us to be able to do that for them. And I like to do whatever I want to If I want to stop by Chick-fil-A, I'd like to be able to do that. I did it once or twice sometimes. I would like to have... You know, some nice things from time to time. I would like to have a hedge against the, the dangers of the future. I, w- I would like that. And then I realized, oh, so that makes me mighty vulnerable and susceptible to the love of money. Because it's like the only thing in our world that seems to offer that. Nothing can happen to you in the future if you have enough of this. All of your boredom, sadness, and fear can be addressed if you only have enough money. And, of course, all the people in here who have a good deal of money know that that's absolutely true. Right? If you have more money than, say, you used to have, don't you find that you don't worry anymore? You're not afraid of anything anymore? Because, I mean, I mean, money keeps you from having cancer. You don't die anymore if you have money. Uh, nothing bad can happen to your kids if you have money. Um, they won't flood your basement if you have money. That Money keeps you from all of these things. Uh, for the people listening on the audio, the speaker is using sarcasm. <laughs> Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm, like, I'm with you and I'm your helper. Now, it's a, a, there's a sense of what you think. That doesn't make any sense. That seems like a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. If that's what it seems to you, like, how's that going to help me? And taxes are due. How's that going to help me? 
Well, you need to think, what, are they, do you think the author of Hebrews is just stupid? He just says stupid things? Some of the times when the Bible says something, you think, I don't know, I don't get that. I don't know how that could be a help. That seems too simple. Yeah, yeah, the Lord's present with me. I need cash. But maybe pause for a second and think, well, maybe he knows something I don't know yet. Maybe he's reminding me of something that I forgot. The Lord is my helper. If I have God, then maybe I don't... If I have God, then no matter what else I don't have, I've got everything I need. Maybe he'll supply for me in uncanny ways. There's this little metaphor that Karl Barth did something like, and somebody else morphed it. But if you imagine you lived all in a... Let's just say we lived in this building. Sorry. That wouldn't be fun, but if we did, if we lived in this room and there were no windows, except there were, there were tall windows up at the top and, and they were all covered in film and you couldn't see out. And we had everything we needed in here, so we just thought this was what the world was. And then one day one of these little kids climbed up on a ladder. They weren't supposed to, but they did anyway. And they scrubbed at that window and they looked outside and they saw people walking around. They're like, huh, what are those people doing out there? And then all of a sudden they saw those people pointing up over the roof of this building. And they were going, look at that! And they were pointing and they were exclaiming and their jaws were dropped and they were acting like, wow! And you were inside the building looking. And you said, come over here, look at these people, what are they doing? And you would scratch your head and say, those people are crazy. Why are they carrying on like that and pointing and yammering and on and on? But then say one day one of the kids escaped. Kids escaped from here. They just escaped like a, yeah, whatever escapes. And they got out and they, and they led others and they came, they stood outside the building and they looked up and they saw, they saw the horizon. They saw the sun for the first time. They saw this mountain range, for instance. They saw, wow, there's more than this ceiling ever permitted me to notice. Well, if you find that you hear the Bible saying, don't, don't worry, be content, don't worry about money, you've got God. And you go, that, does, that doesn't help me. Well, maybe imagine that this author is not pointing at nothing. If you're looking out the window at people and you've never been there and, and they were pointing, maybe they're not pointing at nothing. Maybe they're pointing at something you haven't seen entirely, you haven't entered into fully. And this is an invitation. The Lord is your helper. And it's a simple invitation. The Lord is your helper. My son comes to me at a baseball game and he says, hey, dad, can I have some money? I don't say, why don't you get a job? I don't say, why didn't you plan better, son? No, it's my delight. I know he needs to eat and he knows that I'm going to help him out. I'm his helper. His mom is his helper. Our kids ask us for stuff, and we like helping them. And the Lord is your helper. As you go throughout this day, imagine that the people of the Bible are not pointing at nothing. What if you trusted that? That you have sins, and the Lord, maybe, maybe you've been an adulterer. Maybe you've been sexually immoral. Maybe you've not helped strangers. Maybe you've not loved your brothers. Maybe you've been resentful at your brothers. Maybe there's all kinds of disease things within you. The first help you need is the one who will take away all your transgressions, take away all your rebellions. He'll say, I'll be judged for you. 
And then here's the help I'll give you. I'll keep giving you an undivided heart that you may fear my name. I'll keep giving you my spirit so you may walk in my ways. I'll keep with you. I am your helper. If you don't have a helper, you'll be self-protective. That's the only way you'll know. If you start to imagine that the Lord is your helper, the Lord Jesus Christ who has withheld nothing from you and likes for you to help request from him, to request for help from him, then you will be surprised at how much you can give away, at how much you can love other people, at how much you don't have to protect and guard yourself because you're guarded and because you're protected. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please convince us that you are our help. There isn't a need we have that you who called us into being are not determined to meet. Let us open ourselves up. Open the windows of our lives to your help. And hear us as we make confession of our sins from page three in this bulletin. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions, but according to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Would you take a moment to silently confess?